Tom's already covered some of it, but again, I, I just want you to—I just want you to know—I'm loving the immersed reading plan that we're all a part of. And if you've been keeping up, as Adam said, you've already read all of Luke. Can you believe that? And by the end of this week, you'll read Acts and First and Second Thessalonians. So by the end of this week, you're 25% of the way through the whole New Testament. Did you know that's probably more than what most Christians around the world have already done? And so keep going with that. It's exciting. While it's good to celebrate that achievement, I want you to uh, keep in mind the purpose is not just about ticking off a box that says, I read the New Testament in eight weeks. As good as that is, that's not the main purpose. The main purpose is to encounter God through those pages. And so before you read each day, I encourage you again, just take some time to pray. Lord, speak to me today. What are you trying to tell me? I've given you a free highlighter pen. Highlight the bits that he's speaking to you through. And then pray about those bits at the end. What does that mean for me, Lord? How do I apply that to my life? And if you're in a small group, discuss it with others. Don't rush it. Don't just pick it up and put it down. Pray and be with God as you read. One of the main purposes, though, is to read these bigger chunks instead of our usual practice of just the small, you know, the, the, the little bite-sized bits that sometimes our devotionals give us, you know, the three verses and then a page of, of their devotional on that, which is all fine. But the idea of reading these bigger chunks is to helping us see a bigger picture and, and sometimes even to see a, a better context and maybe there's some verses that you're very familiar with and you see the context around it and you're thinking, wow, that's probably a little bit different to what I thought that verse was supposed to be about. So it'll bring maybe even some correction and better understanding. I know, I know for some of you, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the first time you've read a, a new translation like the NLT and so you miss the, the familiarity of the translation you're used to, but I, I just say embrace it for this time and, and it should help you perhaps to, to think just a little bit differently or a little bit uh, deeper perhaps in some ways. Now, I've been pleasantly surprised at the enthusiasm you've shown because I brought 130 Bibles the first Sunday and they all went. And a few of you said, I'd still want one. So I got another 30 and they're all gone again. And so that's good, isn't it? 160 Bibles, you guys are interested in reading the Word. Now, the problem is some of you would still like one and I haven't, and I've run out. So, can you leave your name uh, with Beth, who's going to be at the information desk there, and I will try my best to get some more. But in the meantime, you know, we've got the reading plans, the references written out for you. If we run out of them there as well, I'll email them to you immediately this afternoon if I can, so that you can keep up in your Bible and we'll get some more to you. The problem with these Bibles is Kurong doesn't sell them. You've got to buy them in bulk. So if I get another 30, then I want to get rid of another 30. All right, you know what I'm saying. Uh, now, oh, last thing. If, you, if you've got a bit of a testimony from this reading plan, please tell me. You know, if something new has come out of it, if it's different for you, please tell me. Write it on your card. Email me, text me, call me. Come and see me. I don't mind. Um... What other methods I've got? I've got Messenger. I've got... That's it. <laughs> you can get through to me. I want to hear it, though. I'm not going to make you get up and share it in front of people unless you really want to, but I just want to hear it. I want to know what God is doing through his word. It is living and it is active. Okay. That aside, 
changing gears just slightly, because I want to talk about, as serious as that is, I want to talk about something else that's serious. And, and I don't know about you, but what happened this week to, to Hannah Clark and, and her three children in Camp Hill, was, it's, um, it's shook me up a fair bit, and I, don't, I imagine you all feel the same way. You know, the, the absolute horror of it, uh, just what seems like evil and darkness. And so before we get to the scripture today, I just felt like God said, Nathan, you're, you're a pastor, you need to give a pastoral response in times like this. In our community, it's in Brisbane. And you've probably read lots of commentary about what happened, and some of it's better than, than others, in my opinion. The emotions that it stirs means, you know, we, we feel angry, uh, we have waves of sadness and frustration and helplessness. These are all the things I felt this week, so I'm guessing that you did too. And we're going to be praying for Hannah's family later this morning before we finish. I just felt compelled to speak out as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus. Jesus who was about justice and mercy. And he said, you take care of the orphan, you take care of the widow... And his heart is for the weak and the vulnerable. And just like we stand against other forms of violence, you know, we, against violence of, of the, un, the unborn, and as Jesus followers, we stand against violence and abuse in any form, actually, that includes in marriages and in all relationships. We are against abuse, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. Because Jesus is against those things too. All abuse is sin. All abuse is sin. It harms people. And it shouldn't be tolerated. Now, um, men, I just want to talk to you for a moment. Because I know most of you, can I just say, firstly, men, you're doing a brilliant job. You're doing a brilliant job as fathers and grandfathers and husbands and boyfriends and, and just friends. And I see you respond well to your own hardships and struggles and you lift up families and others and you put them first. And, and as, a, as a father and a husband, I'm an uncle, I'm a leader, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm, I'm with you on this and I want to just say, well done men, keep going, be the men of God you are called to be. And I know you will all agree with me that real men, real men of God, are known for their compassion, they're known for their love, and that real men do not do harm to others, especially their loved ones, and they'll do anything to protect them from any form of harm. And it's tempting to not talk about this issue from the pulpit because I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way, but the Bible talks specifically sometimes to men and sometimes to women, and so I can do that too as we speak through God's Word, when the time is appropriate. And I know the men here today are going to agree with me on this, but the Bible is clear. When talking to husbands, Paul says, you love your wife like Christ loves the church. In other words, sacrifice yourself for them. You know, Paul says in Colossians Never be harsh to your wife. And in fact, in 1 Timothy, he says this, and it's almost a bit surprising. He says, if you don't provide for your family, then you've denied your faith. 
And may I add, provide doesn't just mean food and shelter. Provide means nurture, safety, emotional support, stability, encouragement, opportunities, everything that it takes for your loved ones to flourish. That's provide. And that's what God has called us to do. And I think that's what real men of God will do. So let's talk about what being a real man looks like because a real man doesn't hurt others. A real man protects others. A real man doesn't pull others down. A real man builds others up. A real man delights in seeing his partner and children and every person in his life flourish and succeed. A real man is humble and sacrifices his own desires for other people's benefit. A real man doesn't need pornography and doesn't use excessive alcohol to, to escape his struggles or to feed an unhealthy desire. A real man is slow to anger. In fact, anger is almost never an appropriate response. Here's what the word says about anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Colossians says, but now is the time. Get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. Now is the time. Get rid of it. If that seems hard, with God's help, all things are possible. Now, church, I'm not talking about some kind of weak, limp, cowardly manhood. I'm talking about real men of courage. I wholeheartedly believe men, they need adventure. They, they get fulfillment from sport and competition. They love a good project, the feeling of accomplishment. They love to provide and solve problems. Men love mateship. They enjoy good company. I'm not out to rebuke men for being what we are created to be. I'm here to encourage all men to be the best men that God wants them to be because that's a real man of God. And I'm saying as men... We need to step up and fight against the sinful parts in our culture. The narcissistic, controlling, angry part that is not godly manhood. We men in the church have a role to play. We can help our culture. But we have to acknowledge that too many women and children are not being provided for by some men in our country. The reverse is happening for way too many and, you know, we, we can get defensive if we want, but we can't deny the truth of it. For every DV case that ends up in a death, apparently it's as high as one every nine days in our country, on average. There are thousands more that go unreported and they, they suffer behind closed doors. You know, we, we've been praying for our community around us over the last Wednesday nights, praying for families and marriages, and around us there will be people suffering this, this sin. We feel helpless at times. I'm calling on the Christian men of Hills Church to be salt and light in all the networks of men that we are part of, to do our part to change that culture. Now, I know our governments and law enforcements, they may need to make changes, but the good men of this world, especially the Christian men, can influence our culture for the better. We are men of God. We stand up against injustice in all its forms. If you see something in a man that you're close to, that worries you, I think the time is here where we don't 
where we, where, we say no, where we stop saying nothing. We prayerfully consider how we shine that light of Jesus into that dark place. Because that man needs your help and his family probably do too. The problem is we're reluctant to get involved and there needs to be a lot of wisdom and discernment in, in these issues. Don't get me wrong. It's very hard. Now regarding the church, I've read stories and have heard stories about churches down through history who haven't done enough to help protect and help women and families who have sought help from the church. You know, they've misapplied scripture. They've encouraged a wife to stay in a marriage that, uh, you know, no matter what, even if there is abuse there, and it's wrong. Wrong, wrong. And if you don't agree with me, I'm sorry, but it's wrong. I'm publicly telling you today that we as a church will never tell a woman or, or a man to stay in an abusive marriage or relationship. The answer to this problem is bigger than just us. I know that. But we, the church, has the best answer, and that's the redeeming power of Jesus. Well, governments have a big job ahead. We know that it's Jesus that changes peoples and societies, and it has happened before. It has to change at the cultural level. We've seen it happen. Revivals through history have changed complete cultures and societies. It's our radiant zeal for God and for revival that will bring the most effective change. So speaking of radiant, let's turn to today's passage. We're in Luke 11, verse 34 to 36. As I was preparing for today, I was going to be in Luke 12. It was about being ready for Christ's return. That's going to be a good message one day. But when I was reading through my immersed Bible this week, this verse stuck in my head. And so eventually I said, okay, God, this is what you're telling me. This is the right verse for today. It's going to be talking about light, and I know we've just done a whole sermon on salt and light, but I think God wanted us to hear this, this message today. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, but when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight was filling you with light. And those three verses, fellow God was saying, Nathan, that's, that's a powerful message for everybody. A way to have a radiant life. So my first point today is this. Who you are is influenced by what you consume. I know that seems like an obvious thing, but sometimes we've got to stop and think about this. When we spend our time watching and looking at various things that can affect our very character, it affects the person we become, and it affects what comes out of us. Because the eye is the source of light for us, and the amount of light and dark in us almost always comes back to what are we looking at? And the reality, church, is that in our zeal to not be like 
the Pharisees, you know, not to be legalistic, to seem more relevant to our culture, we've, we've dropped our guard in many ways in this area. And I don't think I need to spell it out to you, but what we spend our time watching and reading and listening to and consuming has a direct impact on us, on our mind, in our heart. The darkness makes its way in and dwells. Often it's in those little dark corners. And I've seen it happen. And of course it's happened to me. It's so subtle and slow and it sneaks up on us. Attitudes start to shift. Language changes. Sometimes physical and spiritual health can can deteriorate, relationships and marriages might get neglected, church fellowship drops away, addictions sometimes start to kick in. Instead of being transformed towards holiness or or radiance, as Jesus says, by the renewing of our mind, we're transformed to darkness. Instead of a renewed mind filling us with light and, and, and filling those around us with light, we have a mind that is held captive and we fill it with junk, That is dark. Instead of, this is on the screen, this line, instead of us influencing our culture, the culture influences us. We know it happens, right? Let me just see some nodding heads. Okay, good. I've seen people in their zeal for mission reach out to various groups to influence them for Jesus, only to be influenced by them, and their zeal for mission and Jesus can be lost. Now, I'm all for mission work, but you've got to be prepared for it. And only if you have the right support and accountability group around you. Just take a moment and ask yourself, what am I looking at? What gets all of my eye time and my ear time? What are you listening to? What are you spending time with that's not filling you with light? What part of the culture is influencing you instead of the other way around? And the second thing is, from these three verses, your dark corners, they dim your, ra- your radiance. We all have them to varying degrees, these dark corners, the dark room with the dark corner, right? The bit that we kind of don't really let God into. That, that one room that we're just holding off on the side there, we're not going to open that one up to Jesus. We'll keep that there because it's very, very, very hard to do away with it. The secret sins, maybe some gossip sessions, the times of anger, lustful thoughts, the judging of others, secret addictions like over-shopping, gambling, drinking drugs, pornography, online addictions like hours and hours of social media, gaming. Maybe you're one of those people who just loves arguing in the comments sections online. (laughs) Uh, That's an addiction, I'm telling you. Sometimes reading them. It's like pull up the popcorn, right? But that, you gotta, <laughs> those things are not good for us. There's the lack of self-control. Many of these dark corners are fed by what we consume, and I don't mean to judge anyone, but, you know, does married at first sight, does that really fill us with light or dark? <laughs> I haven't watched it. I've just seen enough from the ads to know there's not much light coming out of that TV show. I just want to encourage you. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will prompt you. If you're watching something that brings darkness to you, you know, turn it off. Can I just suggest this one as well? If you're at the movies and you're sitting there and you're like, this movie is not good for me. I feel dark here. 
it's okay to get up out of your seat and walk out that front door. You don't worry about the 20 bucks. Just leave. I'm not saying you can't watch movies or TV or play games or do anything like that. But the kind of things we watch and the amount of things we watch and the content in them, they, they, they damage us. That's what I think Jesus is, is trying to say. The light source is no longer feeding us the, right, the good light. And so we're not radiant. If you want to be a true disciple of Christ, it's time to expose those dark corners to the light. And you're doing that. You're reading the Bible every day, by the way. That's a great way to expose yourself to light. Keep doing that. In fact, my hope is at the end of your eight weeks, you've started a new habit, a new routine, and you just keep going, and you don't need us to say anything from the front. That's what my hope would be. If you want to be a true disciple, it's time to expose those dark corners to some light. And if you don't, the transformation we're called to, it won't be there. The promise of that new life in Christ starts to look like the old life. Let me assure you, this church is not here to judge you or condemn you. Because we're all on this journey of light together. So we're here not only to encourage you forward, but to bring understanding and support because we're all in this together. We're all broken people together. As your pastor, I'm not here condemning anybody. I'm saying I get it. And I need you and you need me. This is why I actually think confession is so important, but it's actually a bit lost in the church. The the spiritual discipline of confession is a bit lost these days. Confession brings light into those dark corners, church. Sometimes I think we think it's too hard to confess in the church. we're, We're afraid of what people might think of us and the reaction. We feel judgment. We're so worried what people might say. And while it's true, some things should be confessed, maybe just to the pastors or maybe elders. There are many times when we miss out on, on shining light into the dark corners or, or onto, we miss out on transformation because we're too scared to confess to our brothers and sisters about our own struggles and weaknesses. I'm saying it's okay to do that. In fact, it's more than okay. We need to do it. When someone confesses a dark corner to us, it's, it's a good thing. It's difficult, but confession is the first step to repentance, and repentance is the pathway to transformation. And it's coupled with forgiveness. Who doesn't want some forgiveness from the Lord, you know? All these things we celebrate in the church. We don't condemn. Someone says... Pastor, I'm struggling in this area. I'm embarrassed about it, but I, I want to do something about it. I'm celebrating at that moment. I'm not condemning. I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. We're going to get somewhere. We're going to be shining the light into the dark. The best breakthroughs come when people expose the dark corners to the light. So I, I say, <clears throat> church, do it. Come and see me. See an, another pastor or an elder. If it's appropriate, you could share it in your small group. You know, why not share some struggles with your small group? That's what they're there for. If someone shares a personal struggle in your small group, there's no judging, just compassion and encouragement. And of course, respect and confidentiality. The key lesson on this point is to get that light 
the light into those dark corners by consuming the good things, not the dark things. Focus the eyes and the ears and the mind on the good things. And Paul mentions this in Philippians. Brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You know what he's saying? If the, if those, the things we're consuming don't really look like that, we need to reconsider. Lastly, darkness can masquerade as light. Let me just repeat that verse because that was the one that really um, stood out to me and, and kind of, I couldn't shake it. Verse 35, make sure the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Isn't that challenging? You know, Paul warns the church that Satan is good at this as well. In 2 Corinthians, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So Satan can do it, and we need to be wary of that. Some things that may seem like light are actually dark. But internally, we have to check the light that we have is not actually darkness. You know, I hate these stories, but in the last few weeks, we had another international high-profile pastor, a leader of a large parachurch ministry. It all came undone for him. It's just been far too often in the last few years. Maybe it's always been that way, and I'm only just starting to notice but it's the same old thing. A long history of bullying behavior starts to catch up with them. Stories emerge of emotional and spiritual abuse. A long list of um, continuous or, or continual changeover of staff. Controlling behaviors. Lack of accountability. You know, if anyone was ever to say to us, why, why do we even have to belong to a denomination, Nathan? I tell you, it's, a good, it's good to have accountability as a pastor. It's good to have people above you in authority that can check on you. You know, every year I have to fill out a long form of questions to our denomination. They check on me. Nathan, it's not just about what I believe, it's what are you doing? Are you caring for yourself and your family and other things? As well as other things they do. Back to this guy, you know, there was non-disclosure agreements... Lots of things swept under the carpet because he was an excellent preacher. He got things done. A long record of success in our eyes. Churches were planted everywhere. Books were written. He had a popular podcast and the keynote speaker. He was the keynote speaker at many conferences. He was one of the men that pushed the, uh, the missional church movement back in the early 2000s. But as the familiar pattern is eventually uncovered, we look at a broken church that far too often elevates a form of light that is actually dark. Because we're attracted to success, wealth, and popularity. And they do attract large crowds. And they seem to have success. But they don't automatically equal the light that Jesus is talking about. And it might seem like light, and maybe aspects of it are light, but what he and others thought was light was often darkness. In fact, the dark corners must have been really big. The test for me is all the fruit. 
Do we see healthy fruit in all the parts of our life, not just our professional life, everything? Do we see the healthy tree, uh, fruit? Because healthy fruit equals healthy tree. The word says that. There's a connection between what Jesus is saying and the evil of domestic violence today. Christians need to shine a light into those dark corners of our society. We need to shine a light into the dark corners of our churches as well. We don't like doing that bit, but we have to. Shine a light where there's darkness, and we can do this in our culture. If something can come from this week's tragedy, it's to wake up the good men, especially the men of God, and I'm one of them. I think I've been woken up and asked them to influence the men around me. Too many men in our culture are consuming the wrong things. They think the light is being successful at having a, a veneer of success in their family, but they're not focused on here, what's going on in here. They're focused on appearances. I'm suggesting we need to be in our world as that source of light that not only protects women and families, but for that matter, really anyone trapped in a place of control and abuse, but also that influences the dark parts. We've got to show a better way. We have to show God's way. So men, I'm not picking on you, by the way. We are in this together. But men, when there are jokes or comments in your workplace about women that demean them, I'm saying speak up. Don't just ignore you know, we can, we can ignore things and not get involved in things. I'm saying maybe the time is to speak up. It might cost you a friend or isolate you from others. You know, I worked in the secular world most of my life before I was in the church. I know what goes on. When you see emails or when you receive emails that aren't appropriate or degrading, don't just delete them. You tell the sender no more. Not just for you, but for anyone. That takes courage. That's the courage I'm talking about. When you see a man behaving in an abusive way through how they speak or act, find a way to do something. Pray really hard first. Because God needs to be with you. And he will be. But find a way to do something and shine some light in that dark corner. Because doing nothing just lets the darkness fester. May I suggest to all of us we need to be radiant. So we have to consider what our own selves, what we're consuming. Otherwise, we're not shining that light. Diligently and with discipline and the power of the Holy Spirit, let's eliminate the dark corners in our life, in the church life, and in the culture around us. Let's eliminate some of those dark corners. Let's do it together. Hold each other accountable. Be the radiant life that brings light into the dark corners. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand. Because this morning we're going to be um, praying for the Clark family and, and those around her. We're going to be praying for all those who had to respond in some way. And then we're going to be praying for all of the people in our country who are right now 
in the hands of some kind of abuse. We're going to be praying for some kind of freedom for them. We're going to be praying for our country. Let's do that together. Well, there is a, a, a devastated family in Camp Hill and beyond who have lost their loved ones in the worst possible way. God, we know it's evil. We know it's not your will. It really does reveal how broken the world is. But Lord, we want to pray for that family. It's hard to even imagine what they're going through. But you know, God, you understand, and you care, and you love. And God, whether they know you or not, I don't know, but I pray for an overwhelming peace that comes from you and a comfort that comes from the comforter. And all around us are um, many others silently suffering. You know, it came out in the open this week, so we're, we're talking and thinking about it now. But Lord, they've been suffering for a long time. So my prayer is that you set the captives free. Lord. My prayer, God, is that this nation would change. My prayer, God, is that the church will be the, you know, you are the hope of the world and you use the church to bring that hope. Say, Lord, we, we are the hope in these dark situations. Help us, Lord, every church to be more like that. God, I pray for the, the people who come into our own counselling service with histories of domestic violence, God. I pray for them to have healing as they move on and forward. Lord, for the uh, police officers, the ambulance officers, the fire, the firemen and women who have to attend and do things that we don't, I pray, Lord, that you will bring uh, comfort for them. And Lord, there's things they've seen they shouldn't have. I pray, God, you heal them as well. Lord, I pray you'd surround them with loved ones. And more than anything, I pray that somehow you and no one through this, that people would see you. God, I believe that you are the way. You are the way maker. You are the light in this darkness. You're the answer to these troubles. And we call on you, Lord, to make yourself known more and more. We call on you, Lord, to empower us to make you known more and more. Make us bolder, Father. Protect those who need protecting, Lord, we pray. Let this be a church that does what it can. 
And Lord, for every person here this morning that maybe that you challenged them about a dark corner, I pray that we don't walk out of this door and do nothing about it. Through your Holy Spirit, shine light, expose the darkness, Lord, and rid it from us. In the name of Jesus. Lord, you are here and you're moving amongst us. We're going to sing that together, church, as we close off the service today. Let's worship.